Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 115 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. This week we're speaking with Dave Steinberg, co-creator of the new Netflix series, No Good Nick. Dave's a show business veteran, but he's up to speed on how audiences consume content these days. I think you're really going to like his take on our binging age and why Netflix is a few steps ahead of the curve. Well, the Mother Report is here at long last, and of course, Late Night Comics had to weigh in on the report's release. Now, I didn't expect Colbert and company to sing the Trump's, Trump's praises after hearing about the report, but the amount of flat-out denial in their collective responses, gosh, it took my breath away. Here's a few examples. Colbert doing his Trump impression, I never said I was above the law. I'm behind the bar. Protect me, Bill. More Colbert on how the report came out via CD-ROM. I'm disappointed. Everybody knows obstruction sounds more authentic on vinyl. Narrator, they didn't find any obstruction. Next, let's go to James Corden of the Late, 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 Late Show. Here, according to The Hollywood Reporter, is their assessment. Corden took on the report statement that Trump believed his presidency was over when Mueller was brought on to the investigation. Clearly the words of an innocent man, Corden said. Trump thought it was the end of his presidency. Unfortunately, as usual, he was completely wrong. Quick note, that quote was taken wildly out of context. Just call it fake comedy news. So what does it all mean? The late-night crew clung to their talking points, like a lot of journalists, ignoring how the Mueller report vindicated Trump. So, two full years of Trump-Russia jokes just evaporated. We didn't care. We didn't really do that, did we? Ha! Our bad. Now they're still clinging to those partisan straws. Is anyone shocked? You know, I just wrapped a piece for the Daily Caller, which should be out in a few days, on whether we'll ever see a right-leaning talk show. The sources I talked to were kind of a mixed bag of people from the left and the right and the middle, and they were not quite clear on what's going to happen next. And some said it was very possible. Some said, hey, how could it possibly not happen? The market demands it. Others had other reactions. But we do deserve at least one late-night show host who can see beyond their partisan glasses. Right now... Okay, nothing of the kind. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. His name's redacted 12 times in the Mueller Report. Here's the hit tweet of the week. <laughs> Alyssa Milano hasn't made a buzzworthy anything in ages, but she's woke and progressive and spends much of her time proving just that on Twitter. So I thought we'd share her musings over the Mueller report. Do you know what the Mueller report doesn't change? Everything. Trump still wants to take away your health care. Trump is still siding with billionaires over the American people. Trump still doesn't care about you and what the Americans need to live a life of health and prosperity. Oh, so that whole two-year-long hoax is quickly shoved under the rug? I got it. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. 
No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. My hit tip of the week is mid-90s. We all know Jonah Hill, the actor. He's gone from a comic cut-up to a more serious actor in recent years. Think Moneyball and War Dogs. He's really showing a true complexity in front of the camera. But now, he's behind the camera. He's adding director to his resume with mid-90s. Some pretty impressive results. It's a story about a teenager who finds a home with some tough-talking skateboarders. Now, you kind of see why. The kid's mom is partially checked out, and I'm being kind... And his brother, played by the really excellent young actor Lucas Hedges, is a complete nightmare and bully. Why not hang out with these skater dudes? Now here's my quick confession. I don't skateboard. I never have. Not into the culture. I'm not a 90s nostalgia guy. I'm an 80s nostalgia guy. And I don't like rap music. I just don't. Nothing personal. Just never been a huge fan. All those elements are front and center in mid-90s. And my lack of interest in all the above? Doesn't matter at all. This is a coming-of-age story, and a really good one. It's clear Jonah Hill knows how to tell a story, how to shade the characters, and also how to bring in the context that makes these kind of stories pop. It's short, running time-wise. It's also pretty bittersweet, and it's definitely worth your while. If you can push past the mature language. There's some rough stuff here, so just know that going in. Mid-90s just got added to the Amazon Prime movie lineup, and I recommend it. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. Now let's get to this week's HitCast interview. Dave Steinberg co-wrote American Pie 2, helped pen a Simpsons episode, and contributes to a crush of kid-friendly shows. Now he's embracing the sitcom format, but with a Netflix twist. His comedy No Good Nick looks like a multi-cam sitcom, right down to the audience laughter but it's far more complex than that. The story follows a teen con artist who moves into a very happy family's home and upends everything, and she wants to rip them off. Only nothing, and I mean nothing, is what it seems. The show stars old pros like Sean Astin and Melissa Joan Hart, but it's the format that is constantly evolving that makes it really interesting and funny. I'll let Dave share more of the full story here, and also why all of this matters in our streaming age. Here's my chat with Dave Steinberg. Dave, I read one review of No Good Nick and and it it made me laugh because the critic called it confounding and then, <laughs> right. and then loved the review loved the show. And and I get it because this show is atypical, it is unconventional, it is wildly original and yet it's also well crafted and well structured and sort of it has all the the building blocks of a traditional sitcom and yet the the source is just so unique. Uh, I was kind of curious from the I guess the the formulation of it, did you approach traditional networks bef- about this or did you go straight to Netflix or what was the what was the thinking behind the scenes in that regard because I, I I would imagine this, this <laughs> the the ABCs of the world might be horrified because it's so different. Right. Yeah, no well first of all thank you. Um we loved that review. Calling it confounding was uh, made us all very happy <laughs> because we're definitely trying to do something new and something we think is like the future of sitcoms, the future of comedy. We don't really feel like we're making a sitcom. It's really a comedy and a drama and a mystery. 
And someone else said it was genre busting, which we also really loved because mm-hmm. it starts off in a traditional sitcom format and it's shot live. So there's an audience and you hear the people laughing in the audience and that sometimes throws people off because they're not as familiar with the multicam format or they think it's old fashioned, but we view it like a live play. We're putting on a show. There's a bunch of people watching it and you hear their reaction. And so it's kind of frustrating when you see the reactions. Uh, Sometimes people um, will respond in a review or just in social media and saying, oh, all that canned laughter and fake laughter, it's so lame. And my response is always, well, it's not canned laughter. There's no such thing as canned laughter. And no one does that anymore. It's just a microphone in front of the audience. Mm -hmm. And yes, in post-production, they do adjust the length of the laugh if it's on top of someone's line or, you know, if it's too small or too big. There might be some tiny adjustments, but they almost never will put a laugh in when there isn't one. It's just the audience laughing Mm -hmm. and it's real. And so you have to imagine the multicam format as being there with the audience watching a play. Um, So given that it's that format, but it takes on a very, it's very serialized and it's all one big story and episodes just go straight into the next one. And and a lot of the episodes um, end one episode and start the next one in the same scene. So that serialized format, plus the fact that it starts off being more traditionally funny and then becomes oftentimes very serious and dark and almost a pure drama towards the end of the run, we feel like we're doing something different that we call Netflix native format. It's Mm -hmm. not a traditional sitcom. It's a Netflix sitcom. It's not a kid's show. It's a family show for Netflix. So it's hard to really define it. So when people say it's confounding, but I couldn't stop watching it, we're like, exactly. Yes. (laughs) It's not like something you've seen before. If you think you're going to be watching um, something from Disney Channel or even something from NBC, you're going to be in for a shock because there's a Mm -hmm. lot of bonkers stuff that happens on our show. Okay, so that was a long way of saying that, no, we never took it to anywhere else. In fact, Netflix came to us. And they said, we want to do a show about a 13-year-old girl who's um, bad and does some bad stuff. And we want to really like push the limits of what we can get away with in this genre. And uh, my producing partner, my writing producing partner and wife, Kichi Kogan, we developed the idea specifically for Netflix based on that premise of what they were looking for. And so we came back to them and said – what about this? What about it? What about a 13 year old girl? And she says that she's a long lost relative that's come to live with them. And then immediately you find out right in the cold open, she's got a secret. She says, I'm in. And you find out first of all, that she's a con artist. You find out that she's not an orphan. Her dad's alive. And without giving you spoilers, there's a lot of plot twists along the way. So some people, everyone's always trying to describe what's the show like. Some people say it's like scandal for kids. Um, Some people say it's like, this is us, but there's just a lot of like high level plot twists that happen along along the way in episode five. There's a very specific um, plot twist that sort of changes the direction of the first 10 episodes. And then in episode 10, there's another big plot twist I'm not going to tell you what they are. I want everyone to watch the show. Mm -hmm. And when the next 10 come out, it's even 
crazier. It's just <laughs> all of a sudden, just things go a little bit crazy, and you'll see some really surprising things. I'm, I feel like I'm really teasing people here, but some very surprising things happen in episode 15, and then at the end of the first season, on episode 20, it really does things in a very different way. Uh, it's very vague. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Listen, your, your job is to tease it and get us interested, and you're doing just that. I was kind of curious, when you're writing a character like the main character here, who as in as an introductory moment is is the, the villain, let's just say. I mean, I, I know it's much more complicated than that. It, does that. Is that an extra challenge for you as a writer to make her more nuanced, to make have, have her more have layers, to kind of make it not as obvious as it is on the surface? Does that sort of kind of get your creative juices flowing in a sense? Well, it's a super fun character to write. We imagine Nick as a superhero. She has a superpower of being to lie really well and manipulate people. <laughs> So she sometimes uses her powers for bad most of the time. Sometimes she uses it for good. But the theme of the show right from day one in the original pitch was about these moral gray areas. And even on the poster for the show, the tagline is sometimes it's good to be bad. <laughs> and what you find in, in writing this show is that we really get to explore people doing the wrong things for the right reasons and doing bad things that they then feel incredible regret for and that not there there are no good guys there's no heroes and there's no villains and i think that if you were to plot who you're rooting for and you watched all 20 episodes in a row you would go back and forth quite a few times you probably start off thinking okay well this criminal is coming to this family and the thompsons are the good guys and she's a, a bad guy but when you find out her extenuating circumstances, then you slowly start to root for her. And then you start – we layer in the hint that the Thompsons are not a random family. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? And then the uh, Nick's dad mentions something about getting justice. You're like, OK, now what is that referring to? So let's put it this way. There is no random lines of dialogue that are just throwaway lines. Every – piece of information like that is very specifically referencing something that's going to happen in the future. Yeah. If someone said, Oh, you know, remember that time that thing happened with your mom, that means something. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like writing, uh, you know, highly serialized drama, but there's laughs as well because there's a lot of layering and it's a very complicated story, especially for us comedy writers. We found it very challenging to, um, put it all together and keep the storylines um, coherent and to set up things that pay off later. And there's also a lot of Easter eggs in the show um, that set up things later on. I'll give you an example. We're When we had generated so many scripts ahead of time, because we had figured out a lot of the show before we even started shooting it, we were able to put into the hallway of the high school, the posters in the hallway almost always are, Easter eggs for future episodes (laughs) and you don't necessarily pay attention to them, but there's a very specific poster in episode four that is an odd. It says auditions for a play coming up. Mm -hmm. It just seems like, okay, random high school poster. Who cares? We knew that that play was going to happen in episode 13, which unfortunately no one can watch right now until the next 10 drop. But 
that poster changes throughout the season. And then in later episodes, the auditions poster says, now the play is coming out next week, buy your tickets. And then the episode before it says opening next week, you know, so the poster keeps changing to let you know future things are about to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's true in a lot of things. But the bottom line is writing a character who is proactive and trying to, oh, you know, outsmart the adults and get away with things and doesn't respect authority. That's an incredibly fun character, right? And also a very smart character. She's clever. She's able to uh, manipulate people. And, and we did a lot of research on how to be a good grifter. And the, the thing about being a con artist that is kind of the opposite of what I think people generally think, it's not about being a good talker. It's about being a good listener. And Nick is always listening to what other people are saying before she comes up with the idea. So she's paying attention to what everyone else is thinking, and she uses that information against them to get what she needs to get. But there's a lot of shots in the show where you're just looking at Nick realizing things or paying attention and getting an idea. There's all these light bulb moments where she's like, aha, now I know what to do next. So it's a lot it's subtle, but it's also a, a challenging show to shoot because unlike a traditional multicam where you're just on the actor, someone says a setup, then someone says a joke and you just go, the camera's on the person saying the first thing, the camera moves to the other one, the audience laughs and we're all happy. This show, we had to sort of retrain the crew that we want to be on the person not talking a lot of the times because there's a lot of things going on that are not dialogue based. Mm -hmm. So that was a fun character to write. Yeah. Given, given all this information and given what I've watched at the show so far, it's almost like this is subverting the formula Mm -hmm. where it looks like a traditional sitcom at first blush, but it's not. And one of the things I noticed was, you know, obviously Melissa Joan Hart's a a TV veteran. Ted McGinley shows up early and there were other faces that I, I didn't get their names right away, but they felt like very, Familiar TV. French Stewart is a from yes. Dirty Rock. What, was was that customer. part of the sort of the the casting purpose behind it to kind of, in a way, kind of remind you of TV past and yet saying, "Hey, it may look like TV's past, but this is a whole new format." Was that was that sort of just yeah. picking the best actors, or was that sort of purposeful? I mean, we love to be able to bring back um, actors that we love from from sitcoms like you know, 30 Rock or Married with Children. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Charisma Carpenter, is not a sitcom star, but a big TV star who's in a future episode. We have um, Jerry Trainer, who's on iCarly. So it was, you know, mostly, to be honest, we're, we're trying to get the best actors for the role. But the fact that we're bringing people back who you know them from other sitcoms is kind of a fun thing for us because you really hit the nail on the head when you said we're trying to subvert the format. It's absolutely true. And we beg people to, to watch a few episodes because if you just watch the first episode and we think the, the first episode is great and we um, we love it, but it's the most traditional of all the episodes because you're absolutely right. We're trying to show you what a sitcom looks like and then it just goes off the rails and becomes very dramatic, very serious. In episode nine, there's... Uh, the episode nine ends with a very dramatic scene. I won't spoil it, but you would never see that in any sitcom mm-hmm. anywhere. It's You might not even see it in a drama. And 
there's so much, I mean, there's crying. Every actor was like, when do I get my crying scene? <laughs> and we score things with, you know, with musical score to highlight the drama. So the, the idea of subverting the sitcom genre was always from the get-go what we wanted to do at Netflix. And, th- and that's what they wanted to, us to come in to pitch them is that we want to turn sitcoms on their head. Uh, we turn a kid's show on its head by addressing dark subject matters, having a character who's not 100% good and there's not a lesson every episode and the family doesn't hug it out every episode. And the parents have conversations about raising kids. There's a scene in episode three where Sean and Melissa just drink wine for about three minutes and talk about serious stuff. There's not a single laugh in the scene. And it's just two adults talking about how to, how difficult it is raising their kids. And only Netflix lets us do that. We could not make this show anywhere else. And it's so much fun. And we feel like this is the future because we're writing it for the way that people consume entertainment now. You, you know, the idea of creating a show, and by the way, you know, network sitcoms are great, and it's a tried and true formula that's been going on for decades, but kids especially, and even adults, because I know I'm like this, I don't like to wait to see what, you know, each episode and then go, okay, what's going to happen next week? I'll wait until next week and find out. Even when there's a show that comes out one at a time, I wait till they're all done, then watch them in a row over a couple day long period. Mm -hmm. That's how people like to consume content. That's just the future. And you can't escape the fact that kids especially like to binge watch. And so our show is written and produced in a way that's meant to be a roller coaster ride for viewing it in one, two sittings or over a couple weeks maximum, but you're not going to watch one episode of no good Nick. And then next week, watch another one because they're designed to make you not press stop. Cause at <laughs> Netflix, you don't have to press. Do you want to watch the next episode and say, yes, you just have to not do anything and, right. and not turn it off because it'll play the next episode. And when we started getting the show came out on Monday, when we started getting um, user reviews started coming in we were just astounded at how many people said, I've already watched it all. When did the next 10 come out? <laughs> and we were thinking, what's well, five hours of your time? It took us like, you know, six months to shoot that. And it took you five hours to watch it. And now you, you have to wait for the next 10. But that's the future. And we are, everything about the show is designed to embrace that way in which people watch it and to subvert the genre and not just like, with the ratio of laughs to tears, but also in the way the story's told yeah. and the fact that episodes change dramatically in their tone as you go on. Hmm. And just, you know, not this isn't a spoiler, but the, in the next 10, we sort of do a little bit of a reset and the first three episodes are very funny again. Yeah. And then it just goes crazy. One of the things I enjoyed and, about the character is, is the, the, the daughter character. I hope I'm going to her name correctly. Lauren Lindsay Donzis. Is that correct? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, Lauren. Yes. She's a she's kind of a true social justice warrior. And I thought, well, there's kind of a rich comic vein, but you don't do it in a mean-spirited way. Can you talk a little bit about that about her character and and what you're kind of going for with her with her approach? Yeah, and Lauren is a, is a fantastic actress and she also has come from a lot of great sitcoms. She was on Live and Maddie, and so she's really can do anything. But in creating that character, we weren't trying to make fun of 
you know, these people who are trying to change the world, what the, I think the point is, is that we're trying to actually deal with a, a much more complicated issue, which is to what extent does the attention you get from trying to change the world and being a leader and getting followers subsume the mission. And so I think that in the big first episode, when we introduce Molly, she's saying that she is her, um, her thing is she likes to help people. Mm -hmm. Her brother says, yeah, as long as everyone knows about it. (laughs) And so can you separate the helping people aspect, which is obviously good, versus the component which is about getting attention for being a good person and patting yourself on the back. And so that is an issue that we explore. And by the way, that's the central issue for her character that goes through all 20 episodes and her relationship with her friends and um, on the volunteer squad. So we kind of created a, a little bit of a fun group of uh, girls who are trying to do good and we certainly support the things that they're trying to accomplish. But there's also this element that we think is very relatable to, uh, you know, that generation of, yes, you're trying to, to help people, but you're also posting Insta stories about it and getting followers. And so is it altruism if you're having a personal benefit from it? So it's, it's actually a fairly complicated issue that, um, we, in the, especially in the back 10 episodes, really go into in a very deep way. And, and uh, the relationship between Molly, not just Molly and Nick, but Molly and the volunteer squad mm-hmm. um, really gets explored in the next 10. Uh, you, you, you're a, you've been in Hollywood for quite some time now, not that you're an old person, but you've got a lot of experience. It sounds like the audience today not only is able to process very complicated stories, they demand it. They feast on it. Are you noticing that the audiences that you write for are changing over the years? I mean, is, it, is there kind of an evolution as far as the, the public itself and what they want in, in content? I'd say absolutely. I think that one of the greatest things about working with Netflix is that they give the audience credit and they know their audience and they enable the creators of the show and the creative people working on the show to to do their thing. And we give the audience credit and there's no recaps like here's what happened last episode. <laughs> and because we think the audiences are getting smarter and smarter, we can give them more and more complicated stories. Um, so I think... There's definitely been a change, and I think that it's it's just um, a natural function of the audiences consuming content and sort of understanding what the um, tropes are and what the gimmicks are, and you can't fool them as easily as you used to. You know, you can't just have the same old setup and jokes because they've seen it before, and if you want to surprise them with plot twists and whatever – it takes more these days to do it because the audience is smart. So we embrace that. And so we have smart characters and we assume the audience is going to appreciate the show on a different level. Um, but the other thing about the show is because of the way it's consumed on, on um, 
Netflix is that even if not everyone gets every single thing we're trying to do there, even if you don't notice the poster in the background, even if you didn't get one particular reference, it doesn't matter because the show can be enjoyed on a bunch of different levels. Kids might get one experience. Adults, we hope adults will enjoy the show too, and they might understand more of it. Um, And we also deal with a lot of fairly complicated issues. There's issues about economics that are discussed in a lot of episodes. There's issues about how to raise your kids and what are the best parenting techniques. And we don't shy away from it. And Netflix lets us do it. They don't say like, look, you can't talk about, um, uh, economics or these, these other issues because kids don't understand that. They're like, well, you know what? Hopefully kids will understand it. And if they don't, that's fine. They can ask their parents, they can have a discussion about it and it's okay for the show to be enjoyed on different levels. But the other thing that's interesting is that we also have to keep in in mind that in creating the show, some people are going to watch it more than once, especially younger audiences. If you watch these 10 episodes and you love it, you might watch it again. So there's actually a bunch of um, Easter eggs built into every episode that you only will understand if you watch it the second time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not important to to the appreciation or, or enjoyment of the show. You can certainly love the show, watch it once like a normal person and move on with your life. But if you're a super fan and you watch it again, there's lines that don't make sense the first time. But now that you know what happens in episode 10, when you go back to episode one, you're like, oh, that's what that means. And then all of a sudden you see her doing something and you're like, oh, OK, that is actually in this other episode. There's um, a lot of props that are littered around the house that have to do with future episodes that it doesn't matter if you notice it and and pay and and know what it means or know the significance of it. But once you've seen the later episode and then you go back you're like, oh, did you notice that thing over there is actually this thing that's important later? So because of we're trying to really embrace the Netflix format, it's fun to, to layer in all those additional complex things and to give the audience a reward for being a super fan. Mm-hmm. And if they get the you know, 1% of the jokes that might be like an inside joke. If they get those jokes, then you get rewarded. So it's fun to be able to do that and to like have those um, more complicated and complex uh, storylines and discussions and philosophical arguments and have the audience appreciate it. Um, It reminds me of like a show like The Good Place, one of my favorite shows. You know, they're talking about philosophy all the time. And I don't think they sit around worrying like, well, are people going to get bored if we talk about philosophy? The job as the creator is to make it interesting to everyone. And if you love philosophy, it's more interesting. And if you don't, can that be interesting to you as well? And so that's what we're trying to do is make it uh, an enjoyable experience, but also on a different level. So there's um, these rewards for the people who are the most excited about the show. Gotcha. Dave, before we let you go, it sounds like this might be an all consuming project and maybe taking up the next few years (laughs) of your creative life. Do you have any other uh, shows or movies or screenplays or anything else in the hopper you can share, or is this sort of this has got your attention twenty four seven? Well, this is I would say it's a twenty four seven. We just wrapped production on episode twenty on Friday, so 
we are going to release the next 10 episodes. We don't have a date yet, but it's uh, they're telling us it's sometime in the fall. That's okay. part two of season one. And sometime in the next couple months, we're going to get an answer about a season two. Gotcha. And that's just based pretty much on viewership. If a lot of people watch the show, they're going to ask us to do more. And we are all we love doing this and we have some great ideas for season two. So if Netflix calls up and says, good news, go make more. We're going to be 100 percent consumed 24 seven. And, and to be honest, it's been such an amazing experience, uh, not just creating and writing and producing the show, but just working with these such talented actors and, and the crew. It's just so fun to show up to work every day. We desperately want to keep doing it and get another season. But we work seven days a week on the show when we're in production and we're uh, making the show five days a week. And then Saturdays and Sundays, we're rewriting scripts, writing scripts. So it's not that we're complaining. We love it, but we have nothing else going on. <laughs> gotcha. Totally <laughs> yeah, there's understand. A, yeah. All right. Well, again, thank you again, Dave, for joining the HitCast. Dave's new show, No Good Nick, is available right now on Netflix and more episodes are on the way. It's smart, it's funny, and it's wildly original. And how often do we get a chance to say just that these days? All the best, Dave, and I hope to uh, talk to you about new episodes and new series down the road. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drug drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. Message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department.